Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the CEO and co-founder of BuzzShift, Cameron Gawley. BuzzShift is a very impressive digital marketing strategy company that helps medium-sized brands get the exposure and revenue they need. Cameron founded the company in 2009 and has steadily grown since then. While also being a mentor for startups and helping nonprofits with their digital marketing, Cameron is a proven expert in his field. Not only has BuzzShift made the Inc. 5000 list, it is also recognized in Forbes and has had global acclaim. BuzzShift is growing like crazy, so Cameron Golly, let's get to it, my friend. Thank All you right. for being thanks here today, buddy. Thanks for having buddy. me, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we took our our, our, our kind of a stab at your origin story, uh, but I'd love to hear in your own words, man, how did this whole company come to be? Yeah, no. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll kind of go a little bit back. I've been this lifelong kind of entrepreneur my whole life, uh, pre-dot-com kid. Uh, I turned 40 this year. And so I, I just turned 40 actually in February. And uh, I was doing a lot of reflecting, but, you know, it goes back to a little bit like a Gary Vee story. Honestly, I was flipping baseball cards literally uh, between 10 and 13 years old. I was at card shows, literally buying cards for 50 cents and selling them for $2. Wow. Um, and and so, so I started my game literally in the, in the baseball card industry. And then fast forward, I started my first tech company uh, at 18. And uh, that was an MSP, a managed service provider in the IT uh, kind of world. And then um, through college, I was running that and, uh, you know, said, I love services, but I, I really felt like if I'm going to scale, uh, I, I felt the, the software as a service world was is maybe even a better play. So uh, we started an online data backup company called Boomerang that preceded Dropboxbox.net and um, mainly focused on ad agencies of all things. Um, I went into uh, I went into a local advertising uh, shop here in Dallas, Texas, where, where I met, and um, I saw these stacks of hard drives literally in the creative uh, little corner over there. And I was like, what are all those hard drives doing? And the creative director over there at that agency said, well, that's where all of our creative files are. And I'm going, oh my goodness, like if this place like burned down, you would like lose all of your creative or whatever else. And so this is like pre-Dropbox, right? And pre box.net and everything else and Google Drive and all that. And so before the cloud was the cloud, we had data centers, right? And sure. still do. But but um, ultimately, uh, so I, I white labeled the software and we were doing online data backup and um, kind of boomerang spun up and, and it was great. Um, and so fast forward, 2007 comes around and I'm at South by Southwest Interactive. I'm at the Driscoll Hotel um, and I see Twitter go from t- literally 20,000 tweets per day to like 60, 70,000 tweets per day. And Ev Williams and a, and a bunch, bunch of the co-founders of Twitter were there. And I, I literally, that was my aha moment. I was like, oh my God, the way, like seeing Twitter, like just blow up at a conference in 2007 was actually my aha moment for like the way we fundamentally communicate as entrepreneurs, as technologists, as consumers is fundamentally going to change right now. And it wasn't Twitter, it wasn't Snapchat, it wasn't TikTok. 
I mean, I'm sorry. It wasn't, it was, it was Twitter. It wasn't, it wasn't Snapchat. It wasn't Facebook. It wasn't TikTok, et cetera, that did it for me. It was, it was Twitter and Twitter was my aha moment to say, man, the world's fundamentally going to change. And it did. And, and so then fast forward a couple years later, um, I meet this guy and, um, his name's Eddie Badrina, who ends up being my co-founder of, of BuzzShift. And, and Eddie is Eddie was Bush's Asian American spokesperson at the White House for both 41 and 43. And um, you know, Eddie was, you know, this pragmatic synthesizer kind of people builder. And I'm this ADHD creative tech kid. And I said, man, if we came together, we could do something really cool. And um, one thing I learned about ad agencies at that point um, in my early kind of career, and I'd already ran two other companies, was, was most ad agencies were kind of like more what I considered like order takers. It was like beholden to the RFP process, like the request for proposal here, here's my RFP, now go fulfill it. And um, I said, let's, let's think about it, you know, through a different lens, maybe and create like a true digital strategy agency, or more of a business consultancy on the front end. So think like a mini BCG, McKinsey, Deloitte Digital on the front end, and then ad agency on the back end. So we're more strategic thinkers than just order takers. Got it. And so him and I, him and I in 2010, we just said, let's, let's start up you know, the first digital strategy agency. And we coined the phrase digital strategy agency. We're the first one on the internet. And now it seems like, you know, what is it? 11 years later, um, everybody's a digital strategist. Um, and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, we were doing strategy, but we're also executing as well. So we've got to work with some really great brands. So 11 years later, you know, we built this company and, um, gone through, we, we've got a couple acquisition stories in that we, we actually sold the company in 2016, bought it back 11 months later for pennies on the dollar in 2017, and then went through another acquisition just earlier this year in February. So, um, yeah, it's been a while, it's been a wild ride. It's been really exciting. We've got an amazing team and, uh, I've learned all the hard lessons. It seems like going through everything over the last, you know, 20 something years, but, um, yeah. it, it's been a great ride. Well, as you, as you think back now, as we're talking to the, the first two companies you started before this, were there any, yeah. any kind of, you know, stand the test of time lessons that weren't just specific to that specific company that has played into your thinking as a business owner now, or even with the, you know, the people that you've helped uh, in their own businesses, do any lessons emerge from those first two, those first two uh, startups you had? hundred percent. Um, uh, the first company, um, one, I learned really quickly. There's no such thing as a solopreneur. I'm actually fundamentally, I don't believe in a solopreneur, uh, kind of mindset. Um, I think, um, maybe in my early twenties, you think you can do it all. And you're a unicorn. You're like, I got it. I can do all this. Right. And I'll just del and, and so we, we don't learn, you know, these management skills and delegation skills and all this stuff, like in college, like this is not taught sure, to us. Like sure. what, what, what is this? Right. So I think, you know, trying to do all the things and, um, trying to be all things to all people, one, it doesn't scale. I mean, there, we live in a world of time and resources and there's only so much time in the day. Um, so one thing I would say is, the first thing I would say is um, if, if you're a solopreneur, it's all about really um, the right team. And I think that, you know, having the right, having the right team is key. And so, um, you know, uh, for me in the early days, uh, I didn't have the right team. And so that was one thing I learned. 
Um, the other thing is delegation, like understanding really core strengths and what your weaknesses are. And I think that for me, you know, it wasn't until 2010, I took my first strengths finders test, my Gallup strengths finders test. And I said, these are my, my top five strengths. And how do I actually leverage that to, you know, to build a team? And um, that I think was a huge inflection point for me was really understanding strengths and weak, uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, so, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things I can say, but um, I would say the biggest thing is, um, you know, that, that specifically. Oh man, that makes total sense. You know, you go through that idea of it's all about me. I need to run this whole thing. I need to, I need to be able to do everything, which is part of the process, right? Like at the beginning, there is something to be said about gaining a variety of skills and, and learning how to do the ins and outs of your business. But like you said, at some point you become a choke point to the business, right? That's right. And, and I think that that's, that's a thing that takes a lot of time and maturity. And if I could go back to my former self, like early self to, to say, here's some wisdom. Um, that's definitely something I would, I would say. The other thing is like, I mean, you know, we live in this TikTok, TikTok type flex Lambo culture. Now it seems like yeah. everybody wants instant gratification, you know, which is very unfortunate, but it, it, you know, I think that we have to look at it through a little bit different lens of like, you know, everybody wants instant gratification, but um, you, you've got to work for it. And, 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 and here's the thing, I think it really does take, you know, what I learned in my twenties was um, it was all about hustle, hustle, hustle. And I think we're taught this, like, I mean, and, and I love Gary Vaynerchuk, like love Gary, but like he, he preaches hustle, hustle all the time. Right. Um, and I really think it's balance over hustle. Like, I think you have to find balance. Yeah. And, you know, for me, like, you know, I was at the data center till three, four in the morning in my twenties. Like I was just hustling all the time. Right. And, you know, I went through, I had a failed marriage in my twenties. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, and, and so like, where's your balance of like, yep. I, I felt like I was a great entrepreneur, but I was, you know, like the family life wasn't there. Right. So like, going into in my thirties and then now and into my forties, I think, and, and I'm not saying that's, that's what it takes. Don't, you know, just because you're in your twenties doesn't mean you have to learn all these hard lessons, but, but I feel like right now being 40, it's like, you know, I, I have a great life now and I feel that, but it is a sense of balance. Right. So I think the other part of that is, is really finding like, what do you enjoy about, you know, what you're doing and focus on what you enjoy and just delegate everything else. Um, and I think that that's, that's really the thing is just dial in on what you enjoy. And I get it. Like when you're first building a company, um, you know, there's a lot of things you're grinding it out. You got to kind of like get in there and just, yeah. and, and grind it out. But, but you have, I have to put a time limit to that. Right. Because all of a sudden it's like 10 years later, you're still doing it. And it's like, you know, that, that you, you didn't scale. And I think that in today's world, it's never been easier to start a business but it's also never been harder to scale a business. And I think mm. we have to be honest. And so a lot of this comes down to self-awareness and, and, and being empathetic with others and, and truly like, you know, um, spending a lot more time reflecting on like what worked, what didn't work. And, and I think the more we can reflect, um, the, the better we can move forward. Yeah, so speak to that for a second. When you said you think today never been easier to start a company makes total sense with the access to digital platforms and technology and, you know, crowdsourcing and all that kind of stuff. But 100%. I'm curious on the side of never been more challenging to scale. 
what yeah. what do you think that's due to? Yeah, I think uh, one is is um, a, a, a couple things, but one is really um, owning up to your core strengths and and weaknesses. So I think we have a challenge of 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 one understanding team dynamics and how to build a really good team. And I think that what I you know as I've mentored and continue to advise entrepreneurs, like they have to understand who they need on their team to offset them. Right. And a lot of times they don't understand what that really means. Like, you know, like I hate, for instance, back office stuff and, and like managing all this other minutia and all this. So it's like, Hey, I need somebody to take care of that or whatever else. A lot of people um, are afraid to delegate. And I think it takes, there's a leadership challenge there. But the other thing is really, um, you know, on, on in, in the agency world, um, the, the big thing there in, in, in our world, but also other, other companies is, is, is hiring the right talent and finding the right talent. And just as much as, just as important as your business development, your BD pipeline is, you know, um, on one side, your talent pipeline is actually probably, you know, the most, the, the, the next to that, I would say probably the most important thing as well. So, so like what, what I'm seeing is like a shift in like even having as you start to scale, like one of the key people I want to bring on even in my company now is like a head of talent, you know, a talent man. And, and I'm not saying HR, like a lot of people think that's HR and I'm like, no, right. no, not HR. Right. But like having somebody that is filling the pipeline, that's focusing on nurturing and, and really and, 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 and cultivating what that looks like over there on the talent side. So, so I think, you know, um, part of it is, is, is talent. Um, that, that's, that's a big part of scaling. Um, but also knowing that like, when you go from zero to 5 million, you're playing like, it's like playing soccer and going from five to 25 million. Well, that's like playing another sport. Okay. That's like playing football or something. Right. So ultimately that means that the, the people you have, maybe a little, they need to change. Uh, and, and so there's some core people that are part of that original team that need to be there, but then, you know, the game's changing. So yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, well, I, I might need to, you know, that football player might be great for this, but he may not be great as a soccer player or vice versa. And so like, you know, and I think about knowing when you're kind of transitioning and, um, and, and so I think that's the thing you're, you're literally going from uh, you're playing two different sports at mm. scale and the other thing is you're going from, I think, um, you know, when you're starting a company, uh, my friend, um, Greg Head, who was who the founder, he was one of the early founders of Infusionsoft, the CMO and everything else. And him and I were talking just recently, and he always talks about going from ADD to OCD. And I think that when, you, when you're first starting a company, you're, you're dabbling a lot, but as you start to scale, you, you really got to dial in on your SOPs and, and, and your processes and you and you've got to build frameworks and you've really got to dial in and become kind of OCD and hyper-focused. And, um, and that's one thing that I tell you, a lot of people can't do that. They can't shift to scale. And I think that is a big challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs as well is, is knowing you can dabble and see what works and what your true product market fit is and all this stuff. Like you can dabble in the early days, but once you figure out what works, you've got to like get hyper-focused and then dial in because if not, if you still become ADD and I hate using that term all the time, but like if yeah, you're kind of it. 
keep dabbling, 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 then you're never going to be able to really scale. Oh, there's so much I want to ask you about in that. That was baller. Uh, so the first is you mentioned hiring the right talent, something that my uh, one of my co-founders and I have been seeing a, a bunch come out of the mouths of so many founders is this need for or the feeling that they can't find and recruit and hire the right talent. Like that's what I'm hearing unanimously across the board. And I'm just curious from your perspective, does, do you feel that same challenge and we're trying to figure out the solution or do you feel like you've you've found some things that help that process that you could pass along to our audience? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I'm still working through it. And I think that um, one of the things that I feel really confident that I, you know, uh, a, a lot of people, what they want to do is it, it's this balancing act of like people that manage people are like SMEs. Like I kind of look at it like, are, are you a subject matter expert that's going to dial in deep on some expertise and you're going to be the expert, you know, like on, I don't know, on whatever it is, insights for or analytics or whatever it might be. Sure. Or are you really good at managing people? And I think that what happens is, is that um, it, when you start looking at your P&L and you start looking at profit and, 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 and margin and everything else, you're, you're always trying to add another person in that can help execute against whatever and that is a profit center for you, right? And I think that sometimes there's a couple things on this as you start to hire and you start to scale, um, hiring the right management team and the, hire, the right senior staff, the right leadership, um, bringing them in a little bit earlier than like maybe even can afford um, yeah. is actually key because they're going to be the ones that are going to help unlock you as a true entrepreneur. So for me, like for instance, um, we have a chief creative officer on our team, okay, Melody Raffler, and she is like an amazing, she's amazing chief creative officer. But before I had her, we always kind of had like, you know, we didn't always have like the right leadership in place on the creative team. You know, you would have kind of a, an ACD, uh, you know, you'd have these different kind of mid-manager roles and stuff like that, but no one's really spearheading and really leading it and owning it. So if you look at the whole racy matrix or whatever, like who's truly accountable for this whole thing. And then it kind of fed up to me. And then I'm like, well, I'm the choke point, right? Yeah. I'm the bottleneck. And, and so I think it's like, at the end of the day, you know, if you are one of the founders and everything comes back up to you, then that means you haven't put the right people in place yet. And so it's almost like you could walk away from your company for six months and then come back in and everything is moving and grooving. Then you know you've got something, right? But most entrepreneurs can't do that yet. And I, sure. I you know, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to that, but like building that team up um, takes time. So I, you know, I think that um, it's, it's trying to make the hiring decisions on uh, maker versus manager kind of, you know, who's making and creating and who's managing and like, when's the balancing act of, of to hire each, right? Yeah. So that, that's really it. Yeah. Man. Yes. I couldn't agree more. When we think about the right time to bring in someone. I'm curious at your thoughts. You know, there's obviously a too late. Do you think there's a too early? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, this is, this is the one thing, um, a lot of people are, 
you know, for a long time, we were looking at everything through the rear view mirror and it's lagging indicators. Okay. It's like, what happened last month? What can we afford to do now or whatever? And it's this rub, right? So for us, you know, in, in, in the agency world, it was like you would, you would land a client and then now you can afford that. Then we can go hire talent. So it's yeah. like you land a client, then you go hire talent. You land a client because you need that cash flow. It's all a cash flow game, right? So, so, but then you realize, well, then you're always like two months. Those people should have been onboarded two months ago by the time you landed that client or whatever else. You're like, I needed that. I needed to staff up two months ago, right? So, you know, figuring out and and putting strategic capital on the front end of like, you know, I, I think this comes down to modeling and forecasting. Um, so I think that the biggest things that I can say that help with us is really good forecasting and really getting dialed in on utilization rates. And, and I think that like understanding people's target utilization rate, like this is the most under like utilized thing that people like in smaller companies, they don't track. Like I, I talked to so many founders, they're like utilization rate, like, well, how do I track that? Like, and, and so, um, like tracking utilization rate is key because then you actually have a pulse of where things are at, because if not, you're kind of flying blind, in my opinion. So if you're not tracking utilization rate and you're a small business or you're a growing business, then I'm like, I, I how are you hiring future state? Like yeah. where you're going? So I'm going to play, I think that's I'm gonna play the dummy. To yeah. I'm going to play the yeah, dummy for my audience. I don't know what we're talking about when you when you say the utilization rate. So can you can you okay, explain cool. to me what that is? So so yeah. So like you know, ultimately, if if I have an employee, then ultimately, you know, hopefully, a hundred percent of their time, you you would think, well, a hundred percent of their time spent at working for you should be focused on profit generating activities, right? But reality is a lot of their activities they're doing are not necessarily like profit generating activities. Right. And so they might be working on internal stuff or whatever else. So, you know, I always hated time tracking. And, and so as an employee or something like that, you know, people are like, Oh, I don't want to track my time, but tracking your time towards like where, um, where, you know, especially in the services based kind of world, right. In the services based industry, tracking your time towards something like a client, you know, deliverable or whatever it is, is really important because then it shows like profitability, but it also shows like if we're utilizing your time at, and you're going over, like, say you're, you know, you have so many hours in the week that you're going against the 30 or 40, 40 hours a week or whatever, if they're going over their time or, and they're spending 120 hours, a week on, you know, a client initiative or whatever else. One, we're like, they're going to burn out. That's, yeah. that's the first thing. Right. And they're, and so we need to get them at a comfortable level of like, okay, maybe 80% or something like that is a target utilization rate. And a hundred percent utilization is like, oh my God, we're like burning the midnight oil for all these people. And I think that, you know, um, the, when I see somebody hit an 80% rate, then it's like, okay, I probably need to go look at start hiring for those, for, for another, you know, uh, another colleague for them to come on and, and help offset some of their time. So really it's, it's about like looking at your benchmarking kind of where they're at and, and where they're spending their time, your employees. But, but it's also looking at it going, when do I hire the next, like if I have a graphic designer on board, like, when do I hire the next graphic designer? When do I need another one? 
when do I need another one and another one? And, and I think if you don't have, if you're not tracking their utilization, then you'll never know when you should hire. It's just this feel thing. And it shouldn't yeah. be a subjective feel. It should be more objective of like, you know, where are we putting our time and energy, I guess. That's super helpful. I'm actually thinking about that in terms of a company we're working with. And I guarantee if we were to do a utilization rate, they're at a hundred, they're at a hundred percent because they're all starting yeah. to report the verge of burnout. And, you know, one person said, I've got 20 hours of meetings every week, but I have over 40 hours of client work. So I'm having to do the 40 hours at home in different places because 20 hours have been sucked up in these meetings and yes, they're all feeling exactly. like the creative team is straining. So the creative team is feeling yes. like we are technically meeting the client's needs, but we're not proud of our work because you keep giving us so many projects. We're growing so fast and they're struggling to hire to keep up. That's right. And, and the more you can track that utilization, you're looking at meeting time versus actual like work that is, you know, actually generating it's, it's part of that revenue. Or then all of a sudden you can say, okay, well, you know, should we be charging more? You can start applying that utilization rate towards, you know, what your margin is and everything else. You're like, man, well, like it, it, they're spending X amount of time on all this. Maybe we're not charging enough or whatever else. So, you know, not to dive in too deep on it, but I, I think it's a great metric all to say to yeah. be able to like look out the forward kind of window versus always looking at lagging indicators. You can then start to plan and you can start to forecast you can start to do some predictive modeling. And so then you can actually get ahead and start hiring to say, oh man, once they hit a 90% utilization rate and they do that over two weeks, then then we're gonna go ahead and start to hire for that that position and, yeah. uh, and add another person to the team. Well, I'm gonna take a look at this at a slightly different angle. And I, I really am genuinely curious at your opinion on this because it's right now it's just an opinion for me. Sure, but sure let's say we're talking about like a client service, professional service kind of business. You're growing, let's, let's imagine you're growing like crazy, right? And mm -hmm. man, that's awesome. We've been working really hard for this and now it's happening, but it's creating some of this overload. One of the things would be to hire, right? Like let's hire to mm -hmm. keep up with the demands. My other curiosity, yep. and it could be a both and, my other curiosity is I wonder if sometimes we haven't made the mental switch yet that we don't have to just take everything the client demands of us, meaning timelines. Like, so sometimes I hear like yeah. the people that are landing the account and then passing it off to the, say the creative team have promised something that the creative mm -hmm. team doesn't feel like they have the capacity to deliver on. But the salesperson was so excited to get that company in the door. They said, sure, we'll get it to you in, in four weeks when the creative team's like, oh, yeah. actually we need two months. Right. And I wonder, yeah. is there yeah. part of the company that learns to believe in itself that can say, we can't do that but we can do this. And 100%. Is that part of the process too? Not just saying like, of course, yeah, we'll take whatever and and whatever demands you have, we'll we'll find a way. We'll hire, we'll do whatever we got to do to 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 do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, actually this is this is foundationally well and and I'm writing an article in Forbes right now called Ad Agencies Are Broken. But what's happening is, uh, well, and, and this is this is the fundamental thing, not just this is internal marketing agencies or marketing uh, teams and everything else have this kind of mindset too, but it, it's this order taking mindset. And I think that who's driving the ship. And I think that at the end of the day, you're talking client, client agency kind of relationship. Yep. And, um, on the front end, you know, I think you, if expectations are not set, 
like a lot of times this is exactly what you just said is exactly what happens in most kind of uh, typical like ad marketing agency kind of uh, scenarios. And I think that there's a, a huge opportunity for you to, you know, help define and really do way more requirements gathering, way more, uh, you know, building out your go-to-market strategy on the front end and, and helping execute, execute against that go-to-market strategy. So, so a lot of times it shouldn't be just like, um, this is what we need and then go do it. Um, somebody should be defining, this is what we need. And this is how much time it's going to take to do that. Um, and I think that it's doing a better, it's the whole like thing that my dad always talked about, you know, measure twice and cut once. Yes. The, we live in a world right now where it's like, go, 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 go. And it's all tactics and tools and everything else. Like, and, and so, you know, for, for most people, they just are trying to execute, execute, execute. And what I say is we've got to take a step back and say two things. One, are we looking at this from a holistic view, right? Are we taking a step back and looking at it from a, very holistic, like um, how do all these things work together? And then and then basically creating a really good blueprint or plan and then starting to execute. Most of the time, people just want to like say, this is what I need and go execute. And um, and, and I think that we have to get back to a world of, of we've got to really develop a better you know, blueprint and take a step back and be a little bit more strategic thinking on the front end. And then, then we're setting better expectations on the back end. So I think it really just takes a little bit more time measuring on the front end and doing a little bit more research and spending a little bit more time doing due diligence of asking, clarifying questions and saying, okay, well, is this what you're, because one, they're going to start to deliver on something and they're going to, they're going to, you know, basically not hit on timelines they're going to, you know, overshoot their hours. They're going to, yeah. you know, it's just, it's very inefficient. So I can tell you, like, I think the the world of agencies is evolving and changing really quick. Um, and and uh, that's one part of it. So, yeah. I know in the early stages of a, of a business, the advice we're told is say yes to everything, right? You're just, you're looking to get clients, you're looking to get experience, you're looking to get revenue through the door. It feels like at yeah. some point that cannot be the rule anymore. And I'm curious how you feel about that. Is there a stage of business where no is something that should, you know, sometimes or often come out of your mouth? That's not the right client for me, or that's not, we can't agree on expectations or anything like that. Does Have, have you had to say that before? Oh my God. Um, that's, that's like my love language now. I will tell you like <laughs> my, my first, my first company, I was like, yes to everything that came through the door, right? I was like, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. Because again, it's hustle, 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 but but it's all about the short-term thinking, right? And so the, the challenge is, is that it, if you want to scale over time, um, it's it can't be about thinking about the short-term. Um, and, and it's about like, really, if I'm gonna build this company from a foundational standpoint, it is all about saying no, okay? which means it is all about defining what are the core attributes and what are the core qualifiers that make uh, uh, the core customer, like what is that customer and don't deviate around it. That is the hardest thing in the world for entrepreneurs to dial in on. Yeah. But I, um, I will tell you this, um, there's a whole, my mindset is um, confidence builds competencies. Um, and so, I'm sorry, competencies build confidence, uh, vice versa. 
Yeah. Yep. So um, my headphones could be going dark on me here. So anyways, um, I think that, you know, um, the more from a confident competency standpoint, the more we feel like we can do this and this is what we're really good at and everything else, then it builds up more confidence. And it's like being, I think the confidence to say no is like a key thing and it takes a little bit of time to be able to do. So I don't want to rule out that. Um, and sometimes it takes a company a year or two to really dial in on that. But, um, to figure out what that sweet spot or that core customer really is. Yeah. But at some point you've got to niche down and you've got to hi be hyper-focused and you've got to say, these are the type of brands we want to bring on, or this is the type of clients I want to work with, or this is the type of whatever. And they have to check these boxes. And like literally right now we have a qualifier and if they don't check one of the boxes there, it is a hard no. But what we do is we start to look at like, hey, is there, we live in an ecosystem and in our ecosystem, we know that they're not a good fit for us, but do we have a strategic partner or do we have a strategic, like any relationship that we could hand that off? Because at the end of the day, life is all about relationships. Yeah. And so, so just because they're not good for you right now, doesn't mean they won't be good for you later on down the road, maybe, or something like that. So I think really what you should do is say a hard no, if they don't fit in your mold, but also develop other relationships with groups that that person could be a good customer for them. And so I think it's, it's building out an ecosystem. And some of the, some of that is like with your direct competitors, by the way. Yeah. So I'm actually like, I'm, I hand off like prospects to my direct agency competitors all the time to say, you're not a good fit for us, but here's, here's a couple other people you should talk to. And, and I'll like literally send them an email and say, Hey bud, like, and that's the thing. That's it's awesome. just, I don't want to say cooperative cooperation or whatever it's called, like yeah. cooperative competition or whatever you call it now. But but it kind of is where it's just like, hey, it's all about relationships. And and that's yeah. really what it comes down to. Man, a lot of this conversation has reminded me of the idea of the infinite game that Simon Sinek talks about, right? 100%. That, that we just get caught in this finite thinking. That's where hustle, hustle, hustle comes from. And I got to say yes to everything. And it's all about right now. It's all about right now and not seeing the bigger picture. Competition is the same way. Often competition is coming from this weird, finite, scarce way of thinking versus there's a lot of need out there. And there's no reason why we can't be coopetition, you know? Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I, and I think I, I'll just, I'll just say one thing on that. I think that um, from a strategic angle, when, when you're taking your company to market, you have to have this bifurcated approach to your strategy, your go-to-market strategy. And what that is, is I call it builders and drivers. So drivers are what can we do to show impact for our brands over the next 30, 60, 90 days? That's short-term, near-term, like now. It's the hustle, let's do this now, let's run some paid media, let's do this, let's do some tactics, right? And we need to do all this, whatever. That's Those are drivers, right? But builders are, what can we do to show impact over time? You're not going to see, and this is what I call like foundation, right? So like builders are like, so if I had a Gantt chart, it would be a, a two-part Gantt chart that would literally be like builders and drivers. Drivers mm. are, what am I doing in the near term, next 30, 60, 90 days to show impact for my brand, to turn an ROI, to gain some type of traction or impact, and then 
builders are really like, what are the foundational things I need to do for this brand that I'm going to see impact over time? And I think that if we can create that type mindset for all companies, every company in the world should take a bifurcated approach. What, what I see is you have the ethereal kind of big picture thinkers that are futurist kind of entrepreneurs and they're a big picture, but they can't get enough traction right now. Or for the most part, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are just trying to get from month to month. They're just trying to say, well, what are we doing this month? And then, okay, and then we're gonna do that and in going into October or whatever. And they're so focused on right now that they can't even look up to see like, where do I wanna be three years from now? Do yeah. I want to have a liquidity event? Do I want to sell my company in three years? If so, let's reverse engineer on how we're going to hit those revenue goals or whatever. So in my opinion, the biggest challenge we have as entrepreneurs is focusing on the near term and focusing on the big picture and having a plan of attack for both. Most people don't have that. And that's what I think is an effective go-to-market strategy. You have to have that the both and. And if you're not tackling that, Drew, then like, I think they're missing the boat. Like, I, I think fundamentally that's where entrepreneurs get really sidetracked. If, if someone's listening to this and they feel like that is the trap they're in right now, how would you suggest they go about solving that issue? Yeah. So one, I, I would say, you know, again, what are you trying to solve for and who are you trying to solve for? Most people, uh, you know, people are typically obsessed with their products or services and what they really need to be obsessed with is what problem they're actually solving for and for who, okay? Yeah. And because products and services are commoditized, like everybody's creating the same products and services, like it's all the same stuff. And at the end of the day, you have to lead with really good brand experience. And in my opinion, like it's, it's, it's thinking truly like a business consultancy on the front end, like we've got to like, you know, um, you know, do enough research, we've got to figure out like, what is our short-term gain? Like what is, I guess, really defining like over the next three months, where do we want to be with this company in three months? What does success look like in the next three months? And then back engineer on how we're going to get there. That's how you get to the driver strategy. But at the end of the day, like also do what does success look like in three years from now? Yeah. Okay. And looking at the macro view and it's the micro and the macro view, but most, like I said, most people are only focused on one or the other and they're, they're, they're not focused on both and it's gotta be both and, but you not only have to think about it as the CEO, you've got to get your leadership team, your CMO, your CFO, your CIO, like your whole C-suite or whoever you have, your founding team members, whatever that is, senior staff, like you've got to get them on the same page and understand what success looks like. And then that's when collectively you can come together but um, that's that's what I would do is, is, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's, you know, comes down to where you want to be as a company and what are your core success metrics and make make sure that those success metrics are in line with that trajectory. So that's that's really what Love it is. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I, for you, it, it, for you and your company right now, give us an idea yeah. of the current state and stage that you would say your company's at and what is the challenge yeah. at that stage? Yeah. So um, our company, we were a very, uh, you know, we're 11 years old now. And, you know, uh, up until, um, I guess, uh, about two years ago, two and a half years ago now, we were a generalist agency. We were taking on B2B brands, B2C brands. We were doing a lot of things for a lot of people. And um, I knew, and again, going back from 
the ADD to OCD, I knew if we were going to scale, if we we're going to shift to scale, which we, we did, um, it was all about being hyper-focused. So for us, we shifted heavy into focusing on D2C, direct consumer e-commerce brands and consumer facing apps. Like that's the only type of clients we work on now, right? Gotcha. I mean, we could do a lot of other things, but we, we decided this is where we can start building frameworks and this is where we can start to scale. Um, so I think, you know, for, for us, the, it, we're, we're super dialed into direct consumer and, and e-commerce and everything. And I think the, the biggest challenge we have is we've got to find people that are obsessed with brand, like brand experiences, like they have to care about it and they have to immerse themselves really into brand. But two, um, finding the right talent. I think that COVID actually is a really, I mean, here's the thing. We used to hire people that were in Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, and you know that was it. And that was our core people. Well, now we have team. We have people like literally East Coast, West Coast. We've got people in Colorado. We've got you know we've got people in Oklahoma, right, yeah. and that work on our team. And so I think that that's been great for us, but it's also been a, a major challenge because you know I have New York groups that will say, hey, I can I can cut salaries by twenty percent, hire somebody from Texas. And hire that person from Texas and pay them 10, 15% more than they would work for a Texas agency. So you're getting New York type agencies, you're getting LA type agencies and SF groups that can, you know, take people and everything else. And so we're competing. We used to compete, you know, here as a local play, but local just got a lot bigger. Right. And I think that that's a big challenge for all companies, right? A lot of companies and not all, but, but a lot of companies right now is, is that, their options, because we live in this remote kind of hybrid uh, post-COVID world right now, or wherever we're at, um, then you know it's 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 one of those things where um, you know competition's high, and I think talent will continue to be the biggest challenge. Um, but is it a good opportunity at the same time to to really scale out and look at um, you know look at other places around the world that we could be sourcing talent. And I think that right. it's opened our eyes up more than anything. Well, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like it's both a challenge and an opportunity, right? Because now yeah. you also get to be the company who's able to find talent from other places that aren't just local to where they want to work. That's right. When you think about it from the strategic standpoint, you looked back a few years ago and you said, all right, focus is the key, right? Like niching, focusing, getting a little more OCD on our processes, on our targets, mm -hmm. you know, on, the, on who we're serving. From where you are now, as you look forward, what what do you feel like is the key strategically to, to scale from this point on? Yeah, so um, one of the things that we did in February was we got acquired by a group um, called Blue Cypress and and their big conscious capitalistic uh, groups, uh, a group that was all about really purpose-driven, mission-driven brands. And for me um, to scale, um, it was all about, again, knowing what we're really good, like looking at our core DNA of our team and saying, what are we really good at? And what are we not good at? And not saying we do all things for all people. And I knew like back office stuff, like I was like, we're not really good at that. Um, and so they said, we'll take that all on for you. And then we'll also inject strategic capital on the front end to help you really grow this thing and scale. And by the way, like, you know, for us, like Shopify development is a big part of what we do. And, and, um, but we don't have a lot of people, developers on our team. So maybe we need to go acquire a Shopify development group or whatever else. So, so I think for me, it was all about like being a part of an ecosystem. 
And I think that understanding where you fit in the ecosystem is key and building strategic relationships and collaborations with other core groups, whether you acquire them or not. I think that that's part of it because what we're seeing is in our industry is like you have these big conglomerates that just kind of own everybody. But I think that what you're seeing a shift in is like you're seeing a more collective environment where it's like you have these pods of different kind of LLCs of different people and collectively they can offset each other. So I think that um, these collectives has, has been a big uh, play for us to be able to scale and also be able to compete with much bigger conglomerates and everything else, right? So, yeah. so for us, it's 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 about strategic collaborations. But then, say, you know, you know, when a client needs something, it's like saying, "Cool," but and normally we would say, "Like, we'll go, we'll go do that, and we'll hire for that." But for for uh, in in today's world, we won't. We'll just say, "Hey, we've got a great strategic partner. You go do that," and then you know, with them and, and do this with us and then we'll work together on this. So I think it's, it's all about strategic collaborations. I think that's, that's, that's the thing. We don't have to own the whole pie. And I think if we can accept that it's not just give us everything, it's like, no, it's all about these collaborations with others. Then that that's key. Yeah. It's, it's the who, not how kind of thinking, you know, that's right. That's right. That's um, right. I want to ask you one question before we, and then we'll dive into our lightning round. Uh, but I want to, this actually came up earlier in the conversation. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss this, but you know, you mentioned older, a little more seasoned, a little more perspective on what matters to you in life and what success really looks like. And we started to talk about balance a little bit, right? And I know from talking to you before the podcast, you're married, three kids, you got a growing company, a lot of demands on you from a lot of different angles. At this stage mm -hmm. of your life, what does balance look like? How do you think about it? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, it's not trading time for dollars. I think that, you know, I, I think again, life is all about time and resources. And I think it's really about how can we be more efficient with our time? And that's really my biggest thing is like, how do we find more time and how can we be more efficient? And I think that, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity to like diversify your revenue streams now and, mm. and thinking about that. And I think that, you know, uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs that have a singular stream, I think now is the time for them to pivot and shift into like having multiple streams of revenue. Um, and, and it's like creating content and like, you know, and we were talking about this earlier is like, you know, I, I've, I have friends that like run an agency, but then they, they're uploading their, you know, stuff on YouTube and they're managing an Airbnb and they're investing in crypto, like whatever they're doing. I think it's really just like not trading all, like doing what you love and spending the amount of time that you want to on that, but don't trade your entire day for dollars. And I think that that, at the end of the day, we're old and gray and we're like, oh my God, what, what happened to my life? And, and you know, and yeah. so I don't want to do that. And I think that that's, that for me, um, you know, is, is key. When it comes to your calendar, are, have you found anything that has been helpful in terms of time blocking or protecting certain things that you find valuable while you're figuring out how to scale yourself out of time for dollars kind of things? Yeah. So, so I have actually, uh, I mean, calendar blocking, I mean, some people will just jump in and, and put stuff over it. I'm, I'm using, I'm actually using an, oh, 
Sorry, we popped off. Yeah. Um, I'm using an app right now called X.AI that's helped me. It's basically like a Calendarly app. Um, and and I can tell you, like, you know, I think that um, having kind of like a, a scheduler where people can choose the times that they want to with you. So they feel like they have the autonomy to be able to, like, you know, pick and choose versus you having to put somebody into a bucket. Um, I think that's been really great. Um but also like, you know, doing things where we don't have like one hour sessions, it's like 50 minute sessions. So you have a 10 minute break and, and, and things like that. But, um, I block off, you know, specific times to just do emails or just do different things. And, um, and that's it. Like I used to be beholden to my, my phone and I would sit there and when somebody emailed me, I would email them right back and I would yeah. email, you know, and so I would, I was so beholden to this phone that like it was constant. I was emailing, texting, email, text, email, text. And now I think one of my hacks was to like just batch that all together. And I have like one hour in the morning where I do emails and one hour late in the afternoon, but that is it. And if I don't get to it, then it goes on, you know, and, and it is what it is. Like I, yeah. I'm just not going to like, I was literally doing emails all day. I was buried in emails. And I think a lot of other people probably listening to this I will be like, man, I'm an email all day. And, 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 and I think that getting away from email is one thing. And the other is like for our internal teams, we don't email anybody internally at all. So we, we do no internal email zero. And um, that was a huge, huge play for us. And so moving to Slack and doing everything internal communication, like it's like, let's just whatever needs to be done, like get it done. And it's in Slack. And then I'll get to Slack when I get to Slack, but yeah. but it makes things way more efficient than having this long email string. When do you, when do you turn off? How, what does that look like? Oh, good. So, so we have a very heavy life balance kind of world where we're not traditional agency working past 6 PM. So I typically shut off um, every day at five, five thirty, uh, every single day. Um, and I spend, you know, um, and, and that's it. Like, I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I pretty much, you know, and then focus on what what's happening at, at the house and everything else. I like to be doing that a lot more, uh, you know, and figuring out like during the day, um, you know, I, I would love the Tim Ferriss does a whole thing on the four hour work week and everything, which is, it feels like you have to work 80 hours to, to even get to that, but <laughs> that point, but, but, but ultimately, like, I think that there is a play to, um, you know, manage our time better and be more efficient with our time and, and not be beholden to that, that Google calendar or whatever. And so putting, you know, the calendar blocks on is key, but also shutting it down and saying like, I don't respond to emails. I don't respond to texts. I don't respond to anything Slack, even messages, late after six o'clock like that's like it's done so um that's really the key thing and i think we have the respect internally on our team that that's just how we all work and um it plays out really nice honestly yeah and you kind of have to train the team you have to train the team that that's how we're going to do things you know like that's right hey listen i'm not going to respond to that so i'm not sure why you're still sending me an email at at eight o'clock right because i'm off and i stick to that boundary and I think I, I take that for granted because like we have like I, I'm I have so much gratitude and so grateful for my amazing team and and but we do like when they get onboarded we talk about that like they're onboarding we talk about like our time management like is a big part of the onboarding so I think establishing those expectations as you onboard a new employee 
is everything. And they get that they they're like, oh man, my previous company, they would work us till midnight, like every night, they don't care. Like I might slack you whenever it's like, you better respond. Like we're very clear with like, that's not how we work here. Right. So I think yeah. it's about saying what we don't do versus more like how we do it yeah. um, is, is almost more important on the onboarding process. But you're, you start to see like how wonderful that is. But then I, I honestly I take that for granted because I've been running this company for 11 years and I talk with other entrepreneurs and you're right. Like, it's like, they're getting slack slacks and emails like all night and they're expected to respond like right away. Yeah. So one of my teammates, you know, one of the guys that works for me, his wife had a big aha when she was sitting next to her husband who works for me and he was relaxing, watching TV at, you know, 10 o'clock at night with her and she was sending an email and he, he was like, what are you doing? And she goes, well, I got to send this email. And he's like, but why are you sending it now? Like you could have sent that hours ago. And she goes, well, and I'm realizing this company, it's like a badge of honor, like that you were working that late. And I, I kind of got to send it at 10 so that they know I was working at 10 o'clock. And he goes, do you like that? She's like, I hate it. And he was like, all right, well, we got to look for you another job, you know? And so she has. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Like that's that, the badge of honor is like, look at how late I worked. And then they, they love talking about that and everything yep. else. And then it becomes this spiral effect. And that is, I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a major uh, challenge at a lot of companies. And again, I think there's an easy way to combat that. And it's, it's changing. That's a culture sh shift, right? Exactly. So, I mean, so for us, it was, you know, we hire culture and strengths over skill set. And so like understanding like this is, you know, the culture, the DNA and your core strengths are really what matters. We think skills can be learned uh, over time. But at the end of the day, like we're going to immerse you into our culture of how we do things. And whatever you've known before, it's like just throw that out the door. Like this is how we do things here. Yeah, man, I love that phrase. And then I promise we're going to get to our lightning round questions. But I was listening to this conversation between Pete Carroll and Mike, Michael Gervais. They've been a really cool tag team. He's a performance psychologist and coach and, you know, yeah. Pete Carroll at the Seattle Seahawks. And of they course. were talking about how many times they've had to use the phrase, that's not how we do it here. Because you have people that came from other teams, right? Like they were on the 49ers first or they were at Denver or wherever. And there were so many times in these critical moments they experienced a loss. Right. Let's say like, they, he was talking about in particular when they lost the Super Bowl on the on the one yard line where, you know, they threw the pick instead of handing it off to Marshawn Lynch. And there was a variety of, of reactions and all that kind of stuff. And he said the phrase they had, they had to keep coming back to is that's not how we process defeat here. And I don't even remember what it was, but it was it's yeah, such a powerful I love, phrase. I, I love that. I love that. Well, and, you know, on the flip side of that, though, the flip side of the whole well, the, uh, the other phrase that's very similar to that is this is how we've always done it here. Okay. Mm. So I'm going to flip that on the other side of this is that if I ever hear an employee say like, this is how we do it, or this is how we've always done it, then that this is this fixed versus growth mindset. Yeah. And yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm like, there should never be a conversation of like, this is how we've always done something. Yeah. And it's like, because there's always, there's always an opportunity for us to shift and knowing that we have this growth mindset versus a fixed mindset of like, so, so actually that's a phrase that we're never allowed to say ever. And like, we teach our team that like, it's like never use the phrase. This is how we've always done it because yeah. that it'll never be the case ever. Well, I think what you're hitting on is important because it's the difference between like processes versus values, right? That's right. So values should be the kind of thing that we actually don't change very often. Like 
that's that's the the, the you know the thinking and the heart behind what we're doing but that's what right. we're actually doing can change at any point if we find a better way right that's right it's more efficient more effective yeah et cetera, et cetera. yeah 100 percent, right and that's you're exactly the core values as long as those stay true and strong and and know that that's that's your anchor right you've got to anchor amazing core values and 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 reiterate those core values to your team all the time right and i think yeah. that that's the thing that a lot of leaders don't necessarily do of like and and when something sticks out that doesn't play in your core values then that's something to call out but you're right like processes will change like things yes. will change and they need to change and you know it's like i mean for us so like we're adapting with ai and our copywriting now it's like that's never, you know, and people are like, oh my God, am I going to lose my job? It, 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 am I changing my entire process? It's like, well, are we going to be more efficient and effective? You know, you're, you're not going to lose your job. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, it, it's, it's crazy. The world is just evolving and knowing that it will continue to evolve and the way we do things is going to continue to evolve. You got to have that growth mindset. Yeah. We're going to change what we do, but we're not going to change who we are. Right. And yeah, I think, exactly. I think if, we, if we can live by that, man, you're going to, you're going to keep staying on the front, on the front <laughs> side of innovation while not losing yourself in the process. That's right. Totally. I love it. All right, my friend, I'm going to ask you these five lightning round questions and then I'll let you get back to your busy day. So question number one, actually, I want to, I've said that several times and I don't like it every time it comes out of my mouth that I assume you have a busy day. Like again, the badge of honor thing. Hopefully you don't have a busy day. Hopefully it's a well-balanced day, but I'm going to ask you these questions before I let you get back to that day. Yeah. So question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Um, focus on outcomes versus outputs. So what I mean by that is, um, it, it's, it, a lot of people do a lot of things for people, but it's the, so what, and the why behind it. And it's like, what is the outcome of that? And so a lot of people are just executing for execution's sake, but they're not really focused on like the why. Right. Yeah. And for, for my team, it's, it's, what's the outcome of that? What's the outcome? Right. And it's not about the inputs and the outputs. It's really about the outcomes. And, and I think that that's the one thing that I really, you know, push our team to really focus on is strategic outcomes. Man, I'm going to read this real quick if you're cool with it, because we just brought up the, the conversation between Pete Carroll and Michael Gervais. And he said something very similar that I wrote down in my notes because it was I had not heard someone articulate it until you now say the same thing. But he said, most cultures are built on high productivity, not performance, where their identity is tied to what and how much they do. They end up increasingly hustling for their self-worth, believing if they do more, they will be more. And this creates a petri dish of anxiety. We become trapped when our self-worth is a consequence rather than a cause of, produ of production or personal achievement. And I was like, oh, that's so accurately that's what you're yeah, talking about. I mean like. Well, and that's like the most like amazing, like way to eloquently like say that. So like, I, I'm like, that is exactly right. Like the high productivity is exactly what people are focused on and they're not yeah. necessarily focused on performing and, and the performance and the outcomes of that. And man, that is spot on. Which is the only like, reason why you'd ever celebrate busyness. You'd only celebrate busyness if you thought the amount of output that you're doing is the reason why you're valuable versus right. what, Hey, what would it? What would it matter if it took me only two hours to accomplish this, but I delivered the goal? 100%. Well, then, do, then do that, man. If you can find a way to do your work in less time, like all I care about is the output of, of what you're doing, right? That's right. 100%. Love it. Awesome. All right. Number two, 
What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Oh, good question. Um, the, I would say the, the best thing I ever advised was, uh, actually taking strengths finders, uh, knowing like, um, you know, uh, you know, where you, what your core strengths are and playing into that will help identify really like who you need to bring on your team and how you need to offset yourself. I think that was the biggest thing. Like, are you a good executor? Are you a good relationship builder? Are you a good, you know, strategic person or whatever? And, and whatever you're not, then it's like, cool. Then like, go find that other person that be one of your best co-founders uh, ever and, and never start a company by yourself. Like always do it with the right co-founder and yeah. Taking that strengths finders is actually a key thing and understand that you should complement each other. If you overlap four out of five top core strengths, probably not a good co-founder. You're going to butt, butt heads. You might be great best friends and go have a beer with them or whatever else, but probably not a good co-founder. And I think that a lot of people go down that route where they're like best buds or friends or whatever else on that. And it's not, you, you definitely want to be friends with your, you know, co-founder and everything else. But I think that they're almost too similar sometimes. Yeah. And, and therefore, you know, that's, that's a challenge. So I think taking strengths finders, uh, was, was definitely, um, key, uh, on that. I would say, you know, on, on the, the worst side, I would say that it would probably be, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, really is just like, I've had a couple of people say, you know, on the solopreneurism thing, it's like, take it as far as you can by yourself. And, and, um, or, you know, hold on to as much equity in the company as you can. I actually completely disagree with the, that. So like, I think from what I've matured on this is like, I think you can get further and do a lot more validated learning and, and get so much more traction. If you just give up, like from an equity, I'm using the word equity right now, but when you start a company, like, I think it's about like having the proper mix of people and like put them on the damn cap table. Great. Whatever. If they offset you knowing that it's going to take a village or a team to be able to like execute on your vision, like don't try to hold it all close to the vest to yourself. Right. And try, don't try to do everything yourself. Um, give up equity, give it, give it away. And, and a lot of people will, will uh, some VCs will be like, what are you talking about? Cam? But, yeah, yeah. um, but, but I, but I truly believe that if you want to get the traction and the time that you're, you're focused on, like you could build three or four companies, you know, by the time, if you try to hold it all to yourself, it could take you years and years and years to ever get any of the traction you really want. And so for me, I was told, you know, hold on as much equity, try to do as much as you can by yourself. And I think that that's completely wrong. Wow. We're going to have to talk about that offline. I got some questions around that. I really like that. All right. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry currently leading your organization? Uh, I, definitely uh, talent, like f finding the right talent that fits the, the culture um, and that really fits the DNA of the team. Uh, I think that that's having a dedicated person on that is key. Um, so I would say hiring is probably the biggest challenge. I think business development is like one of the easiest things actually. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really finding the right people to scale is, is the, is the hardest thing. I love it. Again, I hear it all the time. Number four, what is your current BHAG or your big hairy audacious goal for this company? 
I know I mentioned this earlier, but I would say, you know, not trading time for dollars. So basically figuring out where you can build out systems and processes and systemization, I think is a big part of this. So um, you can do a lot of things where you systemize things or you create like courses or offers or whatever it is, but it, it's things where you're not necessarily trading all of your time for dollars. And I yeah. think that that's the thing as an entrepreneur, like if you continue to trade time for dollars, you're going to burn out. And so you have to be able to say, okay, how do you, um, you know, really kind of like change your mindset around that? Um, it, I think that's a shift as well. Like, um, and so, and so, yeah, I think that's the number one BHAG is just really, um, you know, dialing back and then coming in when you want to, and you have that burst of energy when you, when, when you, when you haven't been just trading time for dollars, then you come in and somebody needs you to help you know, them solve your uh, solve some problems or, or you know walk through some challenges or whatever else man you have so much more energy and you're just so excited and everything else and i feel that like i like the more time i get back with my family the more time i get back with you know um you know doing things that i just love then then the more energy we have when we do want to come to the table and we are in those meetings and everything else so that just energizes us and to, to push those things forward it's not just another mundane meeting yeah heck yeah okay number five is our fun creative question so we'll take a break from all the the deep business questions if you could hop into a delorean you get to go back to your past but there's only one rule the rule is you get to shout one message out the driver's side window of that DeLorean to that younger version of yourself as you drive by, when are you going back in your past and what message would you deliver to that younger version of yourself? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I would probably say, um, I, I would probably say when I was 18 is like build a team. Don't, and, and so, um, and, and so like focus on building your team and delegating and that's it. Like, I mean, really it's, it's about two things. One, as you're starting, I would be telling myself, Hey, delegate the things that you are really bad at. Right. So delegate the stuff you're not good at like this, that, and the other, but as you start to scale, actually delegate the things you're really good at. And that's the weird thing. It's, most entrepreneurs were control freaks and we want to hold on really tight to the things we're really good at. Right. Because we feel like that's a, there's a sense of pride and there's a sense of ownership to these things. But if you really want to scale, if you really want to unlock your full potential as an entrepreneur, I think it comes down to not only delegating your, what you're not good at your weaknesses, but delegating your core strengths. And then at the end of the day, then you've got something to be, then you can kind of back away and you things just run and it's beautiful and you can do whatever you want. So I think that at the, that that's really it is that, um, I would tell my younger self that probably when I was 18, um, get, starting my first company, Hey, delegate, don't be a solopreneur. Don't, don't do that. Um, and, 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 and focus on building a team. Oh man. I think we found the theme. This seems to be the a consistent theme that, that has emerged in your life and in your wisdom and, and what you've built. And it just makes me think of, uh, the, the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. That's right. And Love it. Some, it's like, man, we often trade far for fast. And I don't know. I don't think that's the, I don't think that's a smart move in the end. <laughs> oh man. Awesome. I love it. Uh, Cameron, thank you so much for your time. This has been a very, uh, enlightening conversation and I know it has been for our audience as well. So I really appreciate you being on here, my friend. 
Hey, I really appreciate you having me. So this has been fantastic, Drew. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, buddy. You again. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.